Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, welcome along. It's this week's writer's routine where our guest is Adam Folds. The Booker Prize shortlisted author is here to talk through his working day and think about what it's like to explore philosophy rather than genre in a story. Also, we talk about plotting through character and how and why poetry is different to writing a novel. There is only really the lightning strike in writing poetry. There is not much you can do in the way of uh, research or editing uh, extensively, it's uh, you know you're much more um, in a moment, a more molten moment of a kind of pure creativity that you then uh, kind of wrestle with and uh, shape uh, perhaps more afterwards. So stick around; it's on the way in this week's writer's routine. Right, thank you so much for being there. Cheers for giving us a listen. Uh, My name is Dan Simpson. This is Writer's Routine, the show that does what it says on the tin. It takes you through the writing day of an author to see what they do every day to get their idea from the head down onto the page. Now, I was thinking this the other day. It's baffling, right? We're over 50 episodes through now. So if you've been with us since the beginning and you haven't yet passed this secret on that you've found, uh, it's fine. It can stay between us. Um, with your proper name, but you can write reviews anonymously, you know. I'd love you to do it. I'd love you to head over to the Apple Podcast Store and help us out by leaving Writer's Routine a review. So easy to do. Head over there, search for us, drop five stars if you can, and then write something useful. That way, aspiring authors who need the advice from our authors can get the advice from our authors. Also, if you're not yet, make sure that you are subscribing to the show. Uh, That way, new episodes will automatically download each week. You don't need to go online, worry about finding them. Now, this week, our guest is Adam Folds. He's a poet, a novelist. He was shortlisted for the Booker Prize for The Quickening Maze, and he's just published his fifth book. I think I'm right in saying that. Fifth book. Uh, Dream Sequence. It's all about Henry Banks, an actor who becomes tangled in a strange relationship with the recently divorced Kristen. Uh, Now, Adam says it explores what it's like to live in our current moment with its porous borders between inner and outer life. It's a stunning, terrifying drama all about psychological damage, stalking and the perils of celebrity. Not just Adam, a few reviews in there as well. Uh, And as you can get from that, that short blurb, 
It's literary fiction, uh, which will be interesting to chat about with him because normally we have pretty specific genre authors on the show that write more commercial fiction. So I'm keen to understand what makes people write in different styles and with different purposes, what they're trying to figure out in their writing. Now, we talk about language as well, about tone, and what it's like to plot the whole story using pretty much only your characters. We'll get some of your writing tips in the middle as well, and a little bit of help from a British writing legend, which is on the way after we dive into it with Adam Folds. And very quickly, before we start, he's quite a philosophical and thoughtful author. Uh, So listen out if you can for the silence, when you can almost hear the cogs in his brain churning away trying to think of a perfect answer that covers the style of writing that he's doing honestly better than many others at the moment i think that's quite a joy in this chat listen out for it now we start as always with what adam sees around him in the place where he sits down to write i see um my desk in front of me on which will be a selection of books that are uh, particularly uh, alive and relevant for me at that moment, and a couple of odd little objects and a few postcards um, of different artworks generally. Um, And up on the wall in front of my desk, I have two prints, one a photograph of an Eva Hesse um, artwork and a print of um, a Claude Lorraine engraving of the 18th century and uh, those two things uh, kind of uh, communicate with each other in a, in a sort of interesting way um, but mostly it's a uh, as much as it can be a white and fairly bare space that I write in now. Uh, and is it all done on the laptop? Are you paper and pen no, man? I'm uh, very much a paper and pen person, uh, first of all. I think that comes um, probably from uh, the course that my writing took uh, over my life, uh, in that I was a poet, first of all. And there may be poets who write their poems onto laptops, but um, I I wouldn't even have had a word processor when I started, um, and it never felt natural to me to write in that way. I like the... Uh, organic, this kind of biological feel of uh, pen and ink, and feeling unpressured that it's my own property, that it's an extension of me. This, a laptop uh, has a kind of impatience to it, just in the sort of blinking of a cursor, um, and also is riddled with the possibility of uh, distraction. Um, which has to be carefully curtailed. So first draft is longhand, um, and then uh, the uh, typing up into a Word document um, is a moment where my uh, where the manuscript sort of takes cha- shape properly, I'd say, for the first time. Um, quite a lot of changes are made at that point. So that first uh, laptop document is usually quite a long way along the process of, uh, of towards where the, the thing's going to end up. L- you mentioned distractions a second ago. Yes. Let's quickly take some time to talk about the potential distractions that, that yeah. impede your day, really. Is there anything that, that you do find yourself being 
being taken away from your work for or or the reverse of that do you think there are any little eccentricities maybe quirks that are particular to you that actually help you get your your story down yeah i have um <laughs> this is, i'm not sure how interesting this i've my uh drinks through the day um uh, my coffee at a certain time um uh, I distracted in the way that most people are by kind of internet research rabbit holes and associative uh, distractions. I what do I do to keep myself in it? Often it's those books I'm reading. So often I start the day before I can uh, get down to writing. I will be reading for a while um, uh, to kind of get my bearings to reignite my kind of linguistic imagination. Um, so that, yeah, that's an important uh, element. If it's a good working day, um, not to be sound too sort of uh, facetious, I go into a room and I disappear. Um, and it doesn't kind of, in that state of absorption, it doesn't really matter uh, exactly when and how things happen. Uh, typically, as I say, I will start with reading uh, I will write for chunks of time, often quite uh, sort of pausily, um, taking breaks. Um, I have found that it, writing at like a, 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 the highest pitch of kind of creation of new work um, that is uh, worthwhile requires a, a very high level of concentration and can't really be done for much more than four hours a day. Um, so when those hours occur exactly in the day is kind of, uh, it doesn't matter too much. Um, you have to kind of catch the wave. There's a nice letter of Keats's where he talks about how strange inspiration is in, um, how it, uh, interacts with the body and how, you know, being a great poet, (laughs) as he obviously was, uh, was dependent um, on you know how soon after lunch he was trying to be a great poet, um, so those sorts of things actually shape uh, your working day, um, your kind of biological rhythms. Do you ever try and force that out? I think one of the points of the show is to try and chart how creatives who make money from their creativity force themselves and their ideas to be put down and to be forced through in a daily working environment. So you're saying that you kind of work for four hours whenever that comes. Yeah. How do you I mean, know I mean, when that is going to come? I see. Um, well, I mean, that four hours, I'm talking about the particularly uh, uh, that sense of um, inspired and consistent and uh, productive new work. Um, that is one kind of work that uh, writing requires. Um, there's also research, there's note-taking. But essentially, you know, you are hoping for lightning to strike. Um, uh, and you obviously can't make it um, strike you, but uh, it helps to go out in a storm with a metal pole. So by which I mean you have to put yourself in the way of the possibility of um, that stuff coming to you, uh, which means getting to your desk, which means uh, when you're not inspired, still kind of chewing at the ideas, the characters, 
uh, the possible structure, worrying at it, uh, reading things that uh, might inspire it, um, and generally being kind of vigilantly present um, for the work uh, when it wants to come. When you finished writing for, as you say, your four or so hours a day, do you do you put it to bed for the so you can get on with the rest of your life, or are things always, you know, ticking over? Do you find yourself perhaps going back before you go to bed later at night and quickly jotting down ideas that maybe you yeah, didn't have earlier? Yeah, that, that happens quite regularly. Occasionally, what you know perceive as a kind of disadvantage of um, the writing life is that it's never not present uh, to some extent, um, and it's not really. Uh, possible or uh, useful um, to uh, turn in a kind of low energy day and uh, uh, and still kind of get away with that uh, long term in the way that you can in a, a certain kind of office jobs or whatever where you uh, do what's required. Um, this writing is a a job where you in order for it to be interesting, in order for it to work, you are up against the kind of limits of yourself. I think it's a bit like being a, you know, a concert musician or a chess player or something. You're you're working at the limits of your capabilities. Um, and as I say, it's not contained. So uh, you don't leave it behind very easily. Um, it's, it's always there in your thoughts. And if it's a difficult um, and worrying period in the process of, uh, working on a book, then that can be occasionally kind of cloudy and uh, debilitating um, feeling of kind of prolonged um, struggle uh, that you can't fight your way out of. At other times, it's a very uh, wonderful uh, thing to feel accompanied by in that your um, thoughts, when they're interesting and exciting, have value and have a destination and uh, they kind of transmute your experience and your perceptions into something lasting and meaningful. Well, let's talk about that then. Lasting mm. and, and meaningful. You mentioned earlier the word worthwhile. Mm. What, what does that mean to you? What, what, what makes one of these stories worthwhile? What makes it lasting oh. and meaningful? That's int- I, well, the easiest um, category uh, of, of that to kind of... Uh, deal with is is just kind of physical uh, intellectual perception of the world you know the recording of the world in a bright and vivid way which gives uh, the reader and oneself that sense of uh, re-experiencing something very vividly having one's own experience returned um, in a in a in an arrested and arresting way there are with my books, I tend to work with a uh, with a kind of philosophical question or a set of concerns at their centre that I am uh, investigating um, and thinking through and kind of dramatising through. And so uh, there's a, a sense that you are accumulating saying something about that in the course of a, a novel. Um, and there's also, I guess, the there's an emotional psychological reach which is kind of overlaps with that uh release rather than reach um that overlaps with that um but is not the same as that but it's also just a straightforward sense that you're it's going in it's being absorbed into an object the book the novel that is developing its own 
internal kind of cohesion and its own charisma and uh, will take its place as an object in the world that people will interact with. I've spoken to a lot of perhaps more commercially minded authors, if you don't mind me saying that, the paperbacks that will be read on holiday. Sure. And, and I think they perceive their stories in a different way to you. Like, yeah. Why do you think that is? Why do you think, uh, if I had asked them the previous question, yes. I very much doubt that they would answer about philosophy and about <laughs> leaving this, you know, this lasting idea that, that can be gone back to and considered. Why do you think you view stories in that thoughtful manner, whereas other authors perhaps don't? It's, I, I, I think we're all working from this on the same basis originally, um, which is the pleasure principle. I, the writing that I have always enjoyed from my teens when I first started getting interested in uh, poetry particularly and, and literature more broadly uh, was the kind of writing that had uh, content and had musicality and... Uh, and linguistic vivacity and all these things uh, that I enjoy um, and seek to achieve in my own writing. So it's purely just on the basis of what I find most um, fulfilling. And clearly there is some uh, element in my personality and in my mind that wants to uh, that wants to understand experience, that wants to have some ongoing uh, uh, conversation, uh, some ongoing uh, expression of um, uh, just the strangeness of being alive (laughs) and working out what people are up to and what things feel like. Um, So, yeah, it's just it's pleasure and those priorities are somehow deeply in the structure of my personality. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
we've started a new thing on the show in the last few weeks, if you've missed it, where we're getting your help. So easy. I can't believe I've not done this for ages, just rely on you for everything. If you've got a writing tip that has changed your working day, something that helps get your ideas down onto the page, that wriggles through that awful writer's block, well, I want to hear about it. And you can fire over your tip to the contact page over at writersroutine.com. Let's see who we've got. Um, uh, Kristen. Kristen, sorry. Terrible eyes right now. Kristen from Cardiff. Uh, Thanks for getting in touch. Uh, Hey, Kristen. Like it is in Adam Folds' book. Nice little bit of symmetry there. Anyway, thanks for getting in touch, Kristen. I'm rambling. Uh, She says it's all about the early morning. She says if you wake up early, you need to take advantage of that still, the quiet before anyone else has stirred. And then that way, if you get 500 words to 1,000 done before 10 o'clock, say, you've already had a, a productive day. And maybe, this is quite clever, actually. She says maybe um, you can tap into some of those thoughts that you've dreamed about, you know, when the story is unconsciously working away in your brain overnight. Uh, you can quickly lock into those, get them out, write them down. Brilliant. Kristen, great tip. Thank you so much. Uh, Ollie is on now. Ollie locked away down in Cornwall. And he says it's simple, an internet blocker, like Freedom or Block Site or anything. Ollie, mate, just turn off your internet. <laughs> I don't know why we always almost pay for these tools that do something we could do very easily just by pressing the op- off switch. It's crazy, isn't it? That only like 20 years into solid interneting, already we can't live without it. Ollie, thanks so much for getting in touch. I hope sending that message to me didn't take you away from your story and back onto the internet. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, Finally, Moira, who is somewhere near Cork, she says. Uh, She says that she took inspiration from our Cecilia Ahern episode a few months ago, uh, and she now writes with a pen. She writes with a pen first, then she copies it up later on the laptop. And she says you'd be shocked at just how much easier your ideas flow when you're working with a pen. It's like you're connected to a page. Moira, I completely understand where you're coming from. Uh, If you've got a writing tip, by the way, like Moira, Ollie and Kristen, you can let me know on Twitter. Give us a follow. It's at WritersPod on there. You could DM me on Instagram, WritersRoutine. And you can always head over and let me know on our website. I am Frank Cottrell Boyce, children's writer, and my top tip from the bottom of my heart is set yourself a daily word target, not as something to aspire to or to hit, but something to exceed, so that when you go to bed at night, you go to bed having negotiated with yourself what represents a decent day's work, so you don't go to bed with a crushing sense of failure every night, and you don't wake up every morning thinking, I'm going to write my whole novel today. You're not going to. Say how many words you're going to write. Write them and be happy with yourself. We had loads more incredible advice like that from Frank in last week's episode. Uh, If you missed it and you want to know how Danny Boyle pushed him into writing a novel, what it was like working on the opening ceremony to the Olympic Games in 2012 in London, and why even now so many novels and screenplays down for Frank, uh, writing for him is still torturously awful. Uh, You can find out all about that, catch up with the full episode right now and send me a tip over at writersroutine.com. Right, let's get back into it then with Adam Folds, this week's guest on the show, talking about his brand new book, Dream Sequence. We'll find out more about the story in this half. We also talk about literary fiction and why that drew him in rather than the more commercial genre-based work. We talk about voice and language and we start back in the chat uh, chatting about philosophy. You see, earlier on, we were learning about why he writes, 
what is he hoping to do every time he starts tapping away at his keyboard? Is he hoping to tell a story or figure out something big and world-changing about life? Now, for Adam, we learn it's the latter. So what happens then? What happens when it's all done? What has he found out? I feel like I've got a, a lot of stuff together. So I feel like I've I've taken a tour around something that is inevitably still uh, kind of restless and potentially generative. Um, but I feel like there's... Um, or I aspire to the sensation that there's a, that I've put a lot of stuff into it, that it has a lot of content. There's a nice interview with um, Philip Roth a few years ago where he's talking about his uh, his great trilogy in the 90s, and he had gone to see a um, exhibition of Jackson Pollock, sort of around the time he was writing those books or after he had written those books, and that sort of energy and all overness and uh on the canvas and that sense of incident and detail and uh, uh and all those things that you find in Jackson Pollock all that excitement um he felt he it sort of uh made him feel or reminded him of what he was after in the work and that he had put lots of stuff into it basically um and that's uh, that's something to aspire to the sensation of having got a, as much of the world into your story uh, as you can. How does the writing of a novel... This is a horrendously stupid and naive question. I just thought I'd, I'd iron that out first. How does the writing of a novel differ in theory rather than practice to writing a poem? Hmm. Uh, Day-to-day, I suppose that is actually more over in practice. I mean, you'll sit down at a novel, perhaps you've got to write 100,000 words. You're yeah. going to sit there, you know the point that you want it to end, and you'll churn through it yeah. uh, over a series of days. Is writing poetry different to that? Is it yeah, more, more mean, capturing a moment? Uh, it is. I mean, it's there is only really the lightning strike in writing poetry. There is no, not much you can do in the way of... Uh, research or um, editing uh, extensively um, it's uh, you know you're much more um, in a moment a more molten moment of a kind of pure creativity that you then uh, kind of wrestle with and uh, shape uh, perhaps more afterwards but uh, yeah there's less um, surround to the act of writing in poetry it's very um, direct um, and short and therefore you can it's it's not really a thing you can do full-time <laughs> in the way that you can to some extent be a full-time novelist because there are things to be getting on with let's talk about the new book dream sequence tell me about the very first moment that the idea for this story came into your head what was the the elevator pitch that your brain gave you for this well it emerged over time uh, it began uh, with the character of Henry particularly, um, who is this young uh, actor, uh, very ambitious, we uh, looking to land a part that he is desperate to get and thinks will uh, change his life and career, um, a part for which he will have to starve himself. So we see him uh, at the beginning um, in a state of hunger and uh, ambition and expectation, and he, for me, kind of resonated with lots of things that were alive in the culture right now. 
about around kind of self-creation and image and uh, uh, status anxiety and precarity. An actor's life is a very precarious one, albeit when successful, a very um, uh, well-rewarded one. So he uh, was the, the strong kind of beginning of the novel. Um, and then he drew towards him this other, other character, the other main character of the novel, who is a fan of his... Um, who has met him on one occasion in the past um, and um, has had a a sort of kind of religious experience in that moment um, where it was revealed to her that uh, the essential law of the universe is is love and that she and Henry have this very particular connection that the universe wants uh, to express and that she and he therefore need to be together. Um, And she, uh, we understand, is determined to kind of make that come about early on when i had these two i realized that there was a kind of mythic uh basis to them in that they were versions of the uh narcissus and echo um figures and once i had that i knew that that was that was something i could plug into and that was what i wanted to uh explore and render uh was this kind of contemporary version of an echo and narcissus story I plot from character. Um, I quite like uh, the, the British short story writer, 20th century short story writer, V.S. Pritchett once said that there is no plot, only character. And you can uh, quote uh, Heraclitus, the ancient Greek philosopher, who said, a man's character is his fate. Um, so I'm interested in character and psyche and personality. And when you know, though, that... Um, you know how people are like imbalanced in the world and what they want and uh, what situations they're going to put themselves in and that is what generates plot. Um, So out of these two characters in the world and uh, coming together or not, that is where uh, plot comes from. There there is also then another layer of kind of... uh, machination of um of wanting to work out how that is uh exciting and how that ought to be um structured uh and i yeah i think i there's uh a kind of compulsion to read i think uh, i hope towards the end of dream sequence where a sequence of events is unfolding and you're really uh you have a sense of kind of oncoming collision and you're not sure uh, what's going to happen but that as I say is generated ultimately out of the characters of of Kristen and Henry well two things with that is there a physical form of the sequence of events that these two characters uh, will, will go on are, are you are you plotting on a chart somewhere do you have post-it notes strewn around you at your office generally not I have done that in the past a bit what I tend to do is write uh just to keep my bearings and get and remind myself what I want to happen as I'm writing, I will repeatedly stop and write just sort of chapter headings of X in this location, uh, Y meets Z, uh, and this happens. Just but like scene notes and putting those in order um, uh, in a kind of linear headlines of the story uh, format. Um, that tends to be the kind of charting that I will use um, typically. But yeah, I have used slightly more 
um, kind of tabulated forms in the past, but uh, uh, not for quite a while. And, and characters. Mm. If you're drawing the plot from them, you need to flesh and expand those out pretty thoroughly. How, yes. how are you doing that? Is it as simple as a brainstorm? Is, is there something else? Is it all going on inside your head? How does that work? Um, I ask uh, questions about them and I try to accumulate um, information about them. Um, so there's, it's notebook work, really. So I like to know them in the way that uh, one understands people generally. So I like to know who their family is. I like to know a bit about their childhoods, um, what their kind of uh, personality shape is, where they live physically, what their uh, values are, all the things that you might know about a friend that you know well. I like to know about the character. So it's accumulating those things. So often, uh, even if I don't use it, I will often write uh, notes about early experiences of the characters. Actually, in this book, I do use a fair bit of Henry's or some kind of uh, material from Henry's childhood, and you see him interacting with his parents, and you get a sense of uh, a bit of why he is the way he is. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's that kind of thing. With literary fiction like this, that's not specifically genre based the voice, the tone that you are using to tell the story is so important because there's so much of it. It's not like in a thriller, as I say, where yeah. you, you've got a page worth of a chapter and then the plot is keeping it going, keeping mm. it going. How much thought do you give to the voice that the audience will read this with? Um, that's an interesting question. I'm not sure I think about it in those terms exactly. I um, like the, as I say, the prose to be interesting in itself. I like um, the word choices to be interesting. Um, but I don't want to get in the way. I don't have a strong narrator voice, um, which I guess is typical of, of what we call literary fiction now, that there, there you, you generally don't have a strong um, editorialising narrative voice in the way that you do in Victorian fiction in George Eliot and Dickens, for example. So there's a there's a richness, but there's also a transparency that is um, to do with giving over the perception and, to some extent, the voice of the novel to the character that you're describing at that time. I mean, I'm always I'm looking to improve sentences. I'm looking to make things. I'm looking to find angles and new ways of expressing things. So some of the kind of familiar language of kind of the war against cliché, to use Martin Amos's phrase, I'm looking to avoid um, the pat and the over-familiar. Talk me through that then, the, 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 the war against the cliché. If you find yourself, and you have written a dreadful cliché that countless authors have, have penned before you, what, what do you do? Delete? Do you sit there for a long, long time thinking of something else? Kind of. I mean, you, get, you immediately get rid of that. Um, uh, and writing um, can be the sort of perfect crime in, in that way uh, in, when you're writing your drafts because nobody need ever know. Yeah, it is a question of just dwelling in the scene uh, and working out what would be fresh and interesting about it. Often it's it comes from uh, imagine, imagining this stuff so deeply that you're making almost a character mistake, a category mistake, and thinking it it is real, experiencing it as real, and experiencing it through character. 
it's the characters that m- perceptions that make things fresh and interesting because uh, if if they're real, if they're well drawn, if you're deeply in them, then you see the world as they see them, and we all see the world differently all the time. You know, any a person walking down the street sees in the street different things according to who they are. Someone you know, on a kind of banal level, who uh, needs to buy a car will notice the cars. Uh, A young person might uh, notice the attractive young people of the same or opposite sex, whatever. A priest going through a um, uh, a religious crisis will notice a church that is invisible to other people. Um, On a very crude level, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about, is what do the characters see and if you're in their perceptions then uh, the world will be alive in a particularly interesting way and that is it for this week's writer's routine thank you so much to adam uh, for working a little bit of time in his hugely busy diary at the moment um flew over from canada and made some time while he was here which i really appreciate um thank you so much to adam for that you can find out loads more about his work and the new book dream sequence right now over at writersroutine.com Right, so, your homework for the week. I've been thinking about it. This is what you need to get done before I chat to you again. Send me your writing tip, please. Something that has helped you get through the day, that helps you work through your writing block, that has helped you get your ideas down. I want to know it. I want to share it with everyone else. I need you to tell me first. You can fire it over to writersroutine.com. Also, uh, part two of your homework, if you've not left us a review yet, please do so. It takes a few minutes of your day. Head over to Apple Podcasts, if that's how you are listening. Search for Writer's Routine, and it would help if you gave us five stars. Now, next week, we're chatting to the thriller author, Sarah Pinborough. It's a brilliant chat as well. Quite rambly, but really inspiring and insightful. I'll see you then. Can't wait for it. Sarah Pinborough, next week on Writer's Routine. <laughs> Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.